0: We're in Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy three, verses sixteen and seventeen. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we come before you a people who desire to be equipped for every good work. And so we desire to hear from your word. We don't look to man's opinions. We don't look to man's worldview or ideologies. Lord, we look to be instructed and equipped and edified by the sacred truth of your word. So Lord, please teach us, correct us, approve us, train us in righteousness through your divinely inspired word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thomas Collier was an evangelist, church planter, a chaplain, and a Baptist pastor in the mid-1600s who at one point in his life parted from Orthodox theology, the theology of his Puritan brothers. and He came to embrace heretical teachings such as that Man can believe in the gospel and in Jesus Christ apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. He came to embrace the belief that believers can lose their salvation. He came to believe that salvation is actually possible after one's death. He came to believe that man did not actually inherit or does not inherit Adam's sinful nature, but man is made inherently good. without sin, he came to believe Unitarian theology, that is, that all men will one day be saved, and he came to also believe that Jesus is actually a created being, and not eternal and not divine. And so then, Baptist ministers came together in London and established what became known as the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession. And much of the content was taken from the Westminster Confession of Faith, but they they did this in order to distance themselves from the heretical teachings of Thomas Collier and also to establish what are those things that we agree on, that we must agree on in order to find unity and fellowship and do ministry together so it was crafted in the spirit of unity. Now, as I'm sure you are well aware, there are many things happening in the world. There are competing worldviews, competing ideologies. There are the issues with wokeism and critical race theory. There are the issues with increasing secularism and the issues surrounding LGBTQ+, and so on and so forth. And certainly we can spend months just tackling each and every single one of those issues, and there, I think there is a place and time for those, for that kind of in-depth study. It certainly is helpful to know exactly what exactly do these things believe and what do they, what do they propose. But we also, in times like these, need to remember what exactly do we believe We need to deepen our faith in what we believe. And one of the great values of having confessions like the Westminster or the London Baptist Confession is that they take what we believe in the Scriptures and present them in a concise way. Like These are the things that we believe. And while it is helpful to to at some length to understand and study some of the ideologies and worldviews that are out there in the world, it is most important to make sure that we understand and believe the fundamental teachings of the Scriptures, because this is what will help us to understand what is wrong with those competing worldviews. This is what helps us to know the truth and how to speak truth into the lies of the world. And so with that, we then turn to the Bible, the very first article in this Confession of Faith, because the Bible is essentially where we get our understanding of who God is and what salvation is and what is sound doctrine and sound de- teaching now we'll say as a disclaimer for a topic such as the bible it deserves i think to be to consider some of the external evidences that points to the authenticity of the scriptures however this i don't think we all, we have the time nor is this the place to consider this, perhaps in a separate Bible study, because we can certainly point to the many upon many, the thousands of manuscripts written in Hebrew and Latin, and in Greek that attest to the reliability of the Scriptures, the fact that there are more New Testament manuscripts than there are a thousand times more than any other ancient Greek text. We can talk about the consistency of the scriptures written over 15, a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors and, and how they all essentially point to the same things and how they're all consistent in saying the same things. However, we want to be people of the Word, and so one essential question I want to ask is, why do we believe the Bible? So with that, let's first talk about the revelation of Scripture, beginning with creation's revelation. Because creation itself reveals something. And so what is this revelation in creation? What does creation reveal to us? Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs his course with joy... Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and a circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. So, The passage tells us that creation has something to say, and it has something to say concerning the existence of God. It doesn't just say it, but it seems to say that creation sings. It sings of the existence of God, that creation is proclaiming something to us, and that there is a divine author. That creation itself is like a teacher, and that that everything else is its student. And what is it teaching? It's teaching us that there is one creator of the heavens and the earth, that the volcanic eruptions, that the vastness of the Grand Canyon, that the small, still whispers of the blowing wind and a beautiful day, all proclaim to us that there is a God who created all things. Contrary to someone such as Bill Nye, the science guy, and many others in his community that believes that creation can only be scientifically understood and its wonders only discovered scientifically without the need of faith, Right? we have to believe differently as people of the Word because the Bible compels us to believe differently. The Bible compels us not only to try to understand creation scientifically, because this very passage tells us that heaven itself declares something, it sings to us something, and that is the existence of God. Very much like you don't try to scientifically understand a favorite song of yours, but you listen to it, you're, you're attentive to it, and it speaks to you in a way that scientific words cannot. So in the same way, creation is singing. It's like a divine orchestra. So creation is intended to declare the glory of God, but there is another use to creation. And according to the scriptures, another use of creation and what it reveals concerning the person and the presence of God is that creation itself renders man inexcusable or without excuse, meaning that there is no reason for anyone to not believe in God. Romans one twenty says, For his or God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The problem is that man is unable to interpret rightly what he sees in creation. And that is because of sin, because of man's sin. Romans 1.21 tells us, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Ephesians 4.18 says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Because of sin in the world and sin in our hearts, sin affects our ability to interpret. I think that if there were no sin in the world, in a perfect world, that we would be able to remember everything, that we would not forget that we would be able to recall things, that we would be able to remember things exactly as they happened, but instead, because of sin's effect upon the mind, we cannot always remember. We have a tendency to forget. And even the things that we remember, sometimes we remember them incorrectly. The things that we so wish to recall, we're not always able to recall. And we are not able on our own to interpret the song of creation. It's like sin is like this virus that has, that has invaded the system of the human heart and the system of the human mind. That's why we then need special revelation. So we have the revelation in creation, but we also have revelation in Scripture. Now, special revelation is different things in the scriptures. Special revelation is, especially in the Old Testament, we see the direct acts of God, such as the Exodus, when God performs many miracles in order to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. Special revelation can be the dreams and visions that we read of in the scriptures, such as Jacob's ladder, that Jacob had about the ladder and that descends or ascends into heaven. The most vivid. An explicit revelation of God is seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ with Jesus, the Son of God, who descended from heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a human life, sinless, spotless, perfect, and died on the cross for the salvation of his people, is a special revelation of God. And the Bible itself is a special revelation of God. And music theory. music theory teaches how exactly what are. I've been told that music theory is like learning a new language. And I find it fascinating that you can actually take the songs, not like the lyrics, but like the actual notes, the tunes, the rhythm of a song, and actually put them in, in writing. And that people can understand it and read it and play something that they see on a piece of paper. If creation itself is a choir that sings to the glory of God, then special revelation is the interpretation of those keys and those notes that help us to understand what's going on in the song and to see how the song is composed. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, is the interpretive key to understanding the topic we'll get to next week. So special revelation interprets creation's revelation. Special revelation speaks to our condemnation, but it also speaks to our redemption. It teaches us how exactly do we get right with God? What must we do in order to be saved? Next, let's also consider the nature of Scripture. If we're going to be people of the Word, if we're going to fellowship with one another, find unity with one another, there are certain things that we must believe about the Bible. We must first believe that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God. For the Scriptures to be inspired means that God's direct act upon a human author that he directly acts upon a human author, resulting in the creation of perfectly written revelation. So the Bible is God's word, even though it has as its authors human beings. But the fact that the Bible is inspired and that God comes upon the individual to write this revelation does not mean that there's like this, like this possessedness that takes control of the person writing. The words, but that the Spirit of God comes upon the person without overriding freedom of the will to write God's word using the knowledge of the author, their knowledge of language, and their literary style in order to write this written revelation. We read earlier Second Timothy three sixteen that all Scripture is breathed out by God, given by God, inspired by God, and these Scriptures are self-authenticating. They uh, they point to themselves as the divinely inspired Word of God. There's numerous numerous places in the Old Testament where the Old Testament is identified as the God as a Word of God. We have records of direct speech from God that are recorded for us. We have records of dictated speech where God speaks to an, an individual or a leader or a prophet to speak specific words to a people or to a specific person. Jesus himself appealed to the authority of the Old Testament when we read in the Gospels in several places when he says, Have you not read? Pointing to the Old Testament. For example, Matthew 4, 1-11, or 12, 1-8. Jesus even uses the Old Testament to point to his divine authority and identity. John 5, 39-47, for example. Jesus affirmed divine authorship of the Old Testament. For example, Mark 12, 36, Matthew 15, 1-11. And even New Testament authors recognize the Old Testament as sacred scripture, for example, in Acts 17. And fascinatingly, the New Testament authors recognize their own writing as Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.37, the Apostle Paul writes, If anyone thinks that he is the prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. 2 Peter 3.15 says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Even Peter himself says that the writings of Paul, though some of it are difficult to understand, some people in ignorance twist them just like they do the other Scriptures. So he saw the writings of Paul as sacred scripture. The nature of scripture is also that it is infallible and inerrant. This word has come to mean essentially the same thing, but infallible means incapable of erring, and inerrant means without error. Again, Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Also in the Scriptures, it tells us that every word of God proves true, that He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him, that every word of God is true, that it is pure, that it is without error. And the only way that we can find refuge in God is because God's Word is true. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us that God never lies. So we trust that the word of God is infallible because God is not like man that he should lie. Because God himself is without error. Because God himself is holy. God never sins. God never lies. He cannot help but speak the truth. Therefore, his word is true. John MacArthur had once written, Whatever is true about the character of God is true about the nature of God's word. God is true, impeccable, reliable, therefore so is his word. What a person thinks about God's word in reality reflects what a person thinks about God. The scriptures are sufficient. Meaning that Scripture contains all that we need for life and godliness. And there's no need to add or to subtract the Word of God. Nothing is missing. It has all that we need. In Jude 1, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, the faith that is written for us in the Word of God, the faith that tells us how to get right with God, the written revelation delivered once for all the saints, for all time. We should not expect that it's going to be a Bible 2.0, a Bible 3.0, or a different version of the Bible that will tell us something differently. It's not like the iPhones that are upgraded each and every year that doesn't really do that much different than the previous year. With a little tweaks here and there, the Bible of the Word, the Bible, the Word of God is sufficient For all people and for all times, no matter what age you live in. The nature of Scripture is also that it is clear. The Scriptures are clear, meaning that the Bible itself is clear and understandable. It doesn't mean that every single passage is easily understood. but it means that, every, that the general message of salvation and the commands of the Lord are easily understood. We see this, for example, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, in these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So God commands his people to teach their children, to teach the commandments of the Lord, And the fact that they can be taught to children means that they are understandable to children. Psalm nineteen seven: The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So taking these things into consideration, that this Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it is sufficient, that it is infallible, that it is inerrant, that it is clear, what does that mean for us? It means that the Bible is absolutely authoritative and therefore requires our full submission. Why should we believe the Bible? Because it is the very Word of God. Because it tells us how to get right with God. Because it tells us that apart from faith, that we stand under the judgment of God. Every time we sit down and open the Word of God, We are actually having communion with God. It is actually God speaking to us whenever we open the Word of God, no matter where you find yourself. The Bible tells us man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Just as you need physical sustenance each and every day, and you know that they are disastrous and can even be dangerous consequences if you go a long period of time without eating so also there can be dangerous consequences if you go a significant length of time without feeding on the very Word of God. You might find yourself loving God less, loving God's people less, less desirous of fellowshipping with God's people, looking more like the world and less like Christ. When you fail to feed on the Word of God. The Word is our wisdom. The Word gives us direction and guidance. And because the Word of God is true, because God Himself is true, we can always trust that His Word will never mislead us or take us astray. The Word aims to deepen our fellowship with Christ the word is not always going to tell you what you want to hear but it is always going to tell you the truth. Knowing this then we must then approach the word of God expectingly. When you come to the word of God do you expect for God to speak to you? you expect to come hearing from God? Do you expect to come away with some way to apply the word of God? You come expecting that God might correct a particular pattern in your life. So we come to the word of God, we must expect, we come with this attitude of expecting that God will speak to us through his word. We must also approach the word of God reverentially. We don't approach the Word of God like a cookbook or like a typical book that you might read in your leisurely time. No, this is the Word of God. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to us when we open the Word of God. Therefore, we should not approach it haphazardly or with a careless attitude. We should approach the Word of God openly. Are you open to receive instruction? Are you open to receive correction? Are you open to receive rebuke? Or are you closed-minded? Are you stuck in your ways, stuck in your own patterns of sin, unwilling to change? But then you're not approaching the Word of God openly. You must also approach it Carefully. Carefully, right? We don't read, say, a cookbook like a narrative. It's almost impossible to do. When you receive a letter from a loved one, right, you might read it carefully, read it slowly. Try to understand what the person is saying, what is their intent. You're not sort of free to interpret it whatever way you wish, to insert the meaning is in it that isn't intended. So we must approach it carefully, slow down, try to understand what the Word of God is trying to tell us or to teach us, we must also approach it happily, happily because this is the means, the primary means by which we commune with God, because this is intended to deepen our fellowship with Christ. because we desire to know more about Christ, because we desire to become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we come to the Word of God happily, eagerly, desirous of feeding on it and receive what we need. Now what happens when we do not believe the Bible and live according to its commands? For the sake of time, we're going to just fly over this third point, which is life in peril without Scripture. When you have, the Scriptures give us truth. Scripture, the truth of the Scriptures give us framework. They provide structure to our lives. But when we function our lives, when the world functions without truth, what you have is disorder, and what you have is chaos. What you have is that man's opinions masquerade as truth. What you have then is that feeling becomes objective truth and reality. That people then do what they feel. Well, this feels right to me. This is what makes me happy. Therefore, it must be true and this must be my reality. And if you say that it is wrong, right? there's no place for you in my life. There's no place for discussion. Whereas the whole idea behind worldliness and secularism the whole idea behind transgenderism and the changing of one's sex to another sex which is physically impossible to do no matter how many surgeries one is able to get is because feeling has now become truth but the scriptures are to interpret our feelings Our feelings or our emotions must be grounded in truth. One person had once wrote that there's no such thing as truth, they even teach the little ones. Truth is bondage. Believe what seems right to you. There are as many truths as there are individuals. Follow your feelings. Do as you please. Get in touch with yourself. Do what feels comfortable. Those who speak this way prepare the jails of the 21st century. Those who undermine the idea of truth do the work of tyrants. In other words, what truth prevails at the end of the day? If my truth is not consistent with your truth, which one is going to win out at the end of the day? Is the one with the most power, the one with the most authority, the one with the most guns, the one with the most money, is the one who has all the authority? That person's truth is going to triumph at the end of the day. So we must allow our lives to be structured and anchored according to truth, and that is the truth of the sacred scriptures. What the scriptures do, what the truth does, is that it places limits and boundaries, and teaches how to live prosperously and live rightly, and within those boundaries. It's like a master musician. A master musician has become a master musician by practicing and trying to master multiple instruments at the same time. No, it's by dedicating his time and energies and perhaps even his entire life to mastering one single instrument. And in mastering that one single instrument, he becomes so acquainted with that instrument that they know it well. Better than most people. And in it, he finds an incredible sense of freedom. Or it's like a master painter who limits his painting to a canvas. He doesn't go off the canvas, but he limits his work and performs and and provides this wonderful piece of art within the boundaries of the small canvas. And what the Scriptures does, it provides the instrument, the one instrument, or provides the canvas. And we're not called to reinvent the wheel, but essentially it, it paints a portrait for us, and we're just simply called to paint the same portrait. It's when we take something and use it in a way that wasn't intended, like, say, taking a guitar and trying to play it, like the drums, it's when you have a mess. And what's happening now in the world and in society and culture with this feeling and feeling being truth is that it's not sustainable. It's not going to last long, either because God will make this incredible change and I pray for that or society will essentially crumble and destroy itself because you can only live by lies for so long. And the only way that we can live rightly and ordered lives, the only way that we can be prepared to pick up the pieces is by making sure that we are immersing ourselves in the truths of the Scriptures and the only way that we can speak accurately and into the worldviews that we encounter is by making sure that we are immersing ourselves in the truth of the Scriptures. Lastly, the demand of Scripture. Knowing that the Scripture is special revelation, the divinely inspired Word of God, infallible, inerrant, clear, sufficient, this means that the scriptures then places certain demands upon our lives and there are several upon several demands that we can talk about but just to name a few one of the first and primary and foundational demands that scripture places upon our lives as the authoritative word of god is to believe and to repent to believe In the truth, to believe that there is a God, to believe that there is a Savior, to believe that we are sinners in need of the salvation of Jesus Christ, that apart from that salvation, then we are condemned as sinners. We must believe and repent, turn away from our sins, and cast our lives upon the hands of Jesus Christ. In Luke 3, verse 10, the crowds asked John the Baptist, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. In other words, repent, turn away from sin if you say you believe what you say you believe then it requires a change of life that repentance must characterize your entire being turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ as opposed to the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking salvation and Jesus told him then give up your riches and then come and follow me and he was unable to do and it. it's not that riches itself is sinful But it's that this man loved his riches, and his love for his riches impeded his ability to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there we see the heart of faith. Faith is essentially embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is loving Christ. And if you are unable or unwilling to let go of anything else that the Lord might be calling you to forsake, that you cannot cling to Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Scriptures also demand worship. From beginning to end, from cover to cover, over and over again, the Scriptures attest to the greatness of the glory of God as we read about who He is, about what He has done, about what He has specifically done through His Son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, the scriptures demand that we worship and praise God for who he is. And worship is natural to us, right? Nobody has to command. you. If you are listening to your favorite musician or watching your favorite team play, nobody has to tell you, hey, I command you to get up and worship. Nobody has to tell you that. Why? Because worship is just natural to what you do. You worship what you enjoy. And so worship should be natural to the Christian as breathing. When we come to the sacred scriptures, it's a form of inhaling. We are inhaling who God is, what he has done, and our exhale is a worship. We worship and we praise and we glorify the Lord for what he has done for us. Worship is the heart's response to the greatness and glory of God. So we come to the Scriptures so that we might worship. Thirdly, the Scriptures demand study. Is reading the Word of God something that you check off of a list? My daily task is complete. I can go about the rest of my day. If that is how you come and you approach the Word of God, then you are approaching it in a works-based, legalistic way. Because we primarily come to the scriptures for the sake of relationship, because we desire deeper communion with Christ, not to just simply check off our list. The scriptures tell us to come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. There's a difference between my telling you that a steak is really good and you actually tasting it for yourself. Because when you actually taste it for yourself, you actually experience how good it is, and this is what the Scriptures demand of us, to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. A pastor like that demands that we study the Scriptures, that we slow down, to take the time to chew on what we're reading, to think, to meditate, to understand. And sometimes that requires considering the words, sometimes that requires considering the grammar, sometimes that means considering the the word picture, the illustration in the passage, trying to understand who are the characters in the passage and what are they intended to teach us about what to do rightly and what not to do. And it is this tasting and seeing in the word that actually helps us to walk rightly before the Lord. John Owen points to this relationship between study and life when he says, diligent, constant, serious reading, studying, meditating on the scriptures with the assistance and direction of all the rules and advantages for the right understanding of them or the tools that you might employ in understanding the scriptures, accompanied with the continual attendance on the throne of grace for the presence of the spirit of truth with us to lead us into all truth and to increase his anointing of us day by day shining into our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of God demands serious reading and serious studying, studying so that we might know him rightly and so that we might also live rightly. The scriptures also demand obedience. Do you come to the Scriptures when you open the Scriptures, do you come to the Scriptures with an intent of obeying? Or are you stuck in your ways? Are you stuck in your patterns of sin and unwilling to change? Are you willing to have your mind changed? Do you come with an intent to obey? If you do not come to the Scriptures with an intent to obey, the Scriptures will do you no good. Scriptures demand that we embrace them and love them. Kind of an interesting demand. How do you demand someone to love you? But when you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you also love His Word. You desire to be in it, you desire to obey it, you desire to be instructed by it. Psalm one nineteen, forty-six, the psalmist writes, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, because I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Do you love the word of God? And why should you love the word of God? You should love the word of God, but it is because it is the divinely inspired word of God. Because it gives you wisdom, because it gives you instruction. Because it tells you how to have a right relationship with Christ because it's through the scriptures and what it reveals that you are saved from your sins. Because it is the scriptures that gives you the hope and the encouragement that you need, especially in times of affliction and suffering and trials. We should love the Word of God. It is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and clear Word of God and it's given to us as a treasure to embrace given to us as a manual for Christian living, and given to us as a book that reveals to us the very nature and the very heart of God. So then let us diligently give ourselves to it and daily commune with Christ through the opening of His Word. Let's pray. Lord, anchor us in your word. Help us to be people of the word. Lord, while your word does impart knowledge and instruction, the scriptures also demand that we do something with that knowledge and understanding, and that is to live it out. Lord, and we admit that sometimes there's just this inconsistency between our head and our hearts. We know what is right, but we fail to do what is right. But Jesus says that the wise person is not only the one who heeds your words, but is also the one who obeys your word. Lord, help us to Obey your word, and only through the obedience of your word can we know it more intimately and understand it accurately, and that makes us better equipped to teach the truth and share the gospel with unbelievers. We thank you for your word. Lord, through your word, equip us with all that we need for life and godliness, and equip us for every good work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.